That's a one. All right, Kyle, the topic that You Are Die has chosen for us to discuss today is one introduced in the last episode by Audrey Huggett. It is, how do you create and use monsters when you're prepping or running a game? Oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) You've entered a world of pain, gentlemen. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running role-playing games. Each episode, our guest rolls on our table of topics, and we discuss the result. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week, we are joined yet again by Kyle Latino. Hi, it's me. This is the sound of my voice. Hey, so glad you can come back on. Yeah, um, you are our first returning guest of the podcast, so we will we'll pause here so everybody can jump back and listen to that episode <laughs> first yeah. before they listen to this one. <laughs> Get totally caught up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really excited that you can come back on. Um, and I guess what I'd like to do is, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing gaming-wise since we talked to you last a couple months ago? Oh my goodness, actually so much, and a lot of it mm-hmm. in the, the last couple of weeks. So I am spending the summer in between semesters of grad school back in my hometown of Indianapolis, and I have met several wonderful folks. Recently, there was, a, there was this meetup called ABC RPG on the north side of Indianapolis. Ooh, fun. Yeah, and I met some great folks, and it was it's an acronym that stands for Always Be Creating RPGs, and it was a networking <laughs> event for <laughs> podcasters and fans and, and people who are, like, hacking and making their own modules and stuff like that. So it was, uh-huh. like, a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche, but there were still, like, a dozen and a half folks there. Like, it was pretty oh, well attended. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I was hanging out with some of those folks playing Dread recently, and I loved that. That mm-hmm. was... That was fantastic. I've, I've, I've long wanted to, to play it, and so that's finally gotten marked off the list. I also played in a game of Vanaguard, which is more of a storytelling game. It's it, There are like set resolution mechanics, but there's a lot more negotiation that, that has to occur for it. And um, the way that we played it, you take turns being the what's called the Norn, which means the narrator, the GM, and you just kind of swap off each chapter, and there are like seven chapters. It's a highly structured storytelling game. That's a lot of fun and actually would like re- really be a great entry point for people who are paralyzed by character creation. Just, <laughs> so yeah, if you just like get a couple of drinks in you and, and play some Norse mythology stuff and have a good time. Does that one play a campaign, or is it just a single session thing that you sit down? There is campaign play for it. Mm -hmm. I I would assume you would want more players for it than what we had for campaign play. So it it does a great job. There are uh, advancement mechanics. I think it would actually do really well, maybe not for like a year-long campaign, but, I mean, you could get several, several months of gaming out of it easily. That's cool. Nice. But the important thing is that it used a unique term for the Game Master role. Yes. As you are always being creating role-playing games, you can't just you say no, Game Master. No, no, you can't. No. I have tried, so in my time, um, I've been writing a lot of like little RPG things and, and experiments and stuff. I have tried to, weigh, to to lean away from the word master and try to figure out some way to rephrase it as uh, like a player like elohist player or a world player or something like that and and that way that kind of like kicks down some of the 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 power differential that exists Mm -hmm. in so many rpgs yeah i think that's definitely a trend at least that i'm feeling in my games is i want a lot less 
control over everything and being this godlike figure yeah. much more like a, like I'm we're participating <laughs> together. Yeah, so I've actually been looking a little bit at some of your RPG projects that you've been putting up uh, as the Fantasy Fun Council. And so one of them is the Misremembered Monsters for 5th Edition D&D. Yeah. Which I feel like ties really well into our topic for the day. That is for a game jam that somebody came up with on itch.io. I think Mm -hmm. it's running until the end of the month. So there's still a couple of days to squirt something right into that jam. And uh, that's the phrase. That's what, what we what want to a, say, what right? A lovely, yeah. <laughs> phrase. Thank you. For You're welcome. That You're welcome. Yeah, no, that's a common parlance in, in Indianapolis. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're just too far north to really get that. Anyways, we'll do uh, a survey of Indianapolis residents <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah, so it's called the Prismatic Corpse Jam. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's it's it is kind of based off of the exquisite corpse. Not to be confused with my informal jam that I haven't announced anywhere, but have been accepting submissions for. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's so it's already sa- exquisite corpse already sounds like it's something right out of D anD. d But this fella who's running this, he wants you to rewrite however you remember D anD. d to be, however you in, however you interpret those instructions to be. It's very free form. Like you can do like mm-hmm. beat cut up poetry for like goblin stats or like yeah like uh like a yeah list of phone numbers for deities or whatever like there's all kinds of stuff that you could do um yeah and it's so it's supposed to be like trippy and almost like ungameable so uh i had been enjoying making these little like trifold pamphlets recently so I I decided to do 1D6 Misremembered Monsters, which is basically just a bunch of lousy puns about mm-hmm. famous iconic D&D monsters, but with actually like runnable 5th edition stats, just because... And let me tell you, 5th edition stats just takes all the fun out of everything for me. Um, so that's the last time I think I'll be doing anything that's like immediately yeah. useful for 5th edition game masters. But uh, Yeah, f- fine-tuning those stats is not fun. Oh, it's just the worst. And it's like, it's the same reason I don't like playing like Western CRPGs, like, the, mm. like Baldur's Gate or something like that, is because... It's like you're building your party at the beginning. You're like, I don't know if this is a good character or not. Like, I have no idea of knowing if this is going to work. You have to have mm-hmm. so much experience to know what all of those decisions you're making actually means that it's it's a high barrier to entry. You know, um, it's funny you should mention that. Just literally a week ago, I was feeling nostalgic, and I actually fired up Baldur's Gate for the first time in a decade or two. And before I got to the end of character creation, I had... The nostalgia was gone, and I was I checked out. <laughs> like, I don't I don't have the energy. I can't deal with the stress of figuring out like a good build. Am I remembering you have to create like four or six characters in Baldur's Gate too? Correct. In Baldur's Gate, you just create the one, but there are other in uh, Icewind games. Dale. You have to create four. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a beast. I mean, you gotta love what you're doing because that's like a couple of nights' work, honestly, Ugh, to create yeah. a whole party. <laughs> In theory, it's really satisfying when you have them all created. But uh, I'm sitting here being like, oh, I'm not very sad that I missed that, but then also remembering that I would spend literal nights putting together Magic: The Gathering decks. So it's not like oh, I yeah. have the high ground here. And yeah. we haven't even talked about the biggest time sink, which is coming up with names for your characters. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's yeah. That's that's why that's why name, name I, I like to make uh, like name generator tables and twine and 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 Google Sheets and stuff like that. So I'm I'm ready to go. 
with all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and and uh, in those games, even even that was fraught with peril, picking names, because if you didn't know if it was going to be case-sensitive or not, you could mm. enter your character name in a way that looked stupid every time it appeared in yes. the game, like if it was all caps or something like that. Uh, I, I've, I've had experience with this, I guess. So. Yeah. <laughs> you can show yourself yeah. as a casual. Just and then you, you do you really want to restart... After you just spent a whole evening kind of <laughs> typing in all your dumb characters. <laughs> oh, man. This is a great segue into talking about creating monsters. Rule number one is if you're, gonna, if you're into creating monsters, don't play D&D. <laughs> play <laughs> something else. <laughs> I love the Powered by the Apocalypse stuff. I just ran a game of World of Dungeons, which is mm. like... Dungeon World, except there are no specific moves. It is all just plain old resolution mechanic and like very limited kind of functionality for those characters. And it's just, it's all fictional positioning and negotiation, which is great <laughs> because players can just kind of focus on going bonkers and GMs can focus on thinking of cool stuff and they don't need to like, yeah, balance the checkbook in order to make a single monster for a single encounter. So Kyle, I have a I have a question. So you mentioned not liking making monsters for fifth edition. Do you ever just take existing monsters and reskin them and keep the stats? If I'm doing fifth edition, that's exclusively what I do. Because fifth edition is like really into at least the appearance of balance. And by that it means that your 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 party is not running into monsters that are too difficult for them to overcome with their stats. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you, if you just kind of homebrew your own monster, you could run into a situation where they're just going to get devoured, uh, alive immediately by something with six legendary actions, just because you thought like, well, this is a super rare, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a blue Charizard. So of course it needs six yeah. legendary actions. That sounds cool to you. But when you're there, it's just like, oops, I, that's a TPK or worse. It's. A situation that is solvable, but it just takes a long time. Like that, if mm. it's just a grind, if it's like, you know, oh, well, if, if, if this needs to feel legendary, like it's a big boss monster, you spend all this time doing it, then you give it like 6,000 hit points, and it's like, oh, okay, we're into hour two of this one encounter. <laughs> sure, I guess it feels epic to the point of boredom, but, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I, if I'm running fifth edition, I will always use. The, their monsters and i'll just give them different names and i won't refer to mm -hmm. them as goblins i will just to kind of describe what i think goblins look like and then people will mm -hmm. be freaked out because when you don't use that word the goblins actually sound really really scary yes they do <laughs> what about you Andy? oh yeah like kyle i just reskin what's there in the monster manual for the most part it's mm -hmm. pretty rare that there isn't a monster in the monster manual that that doesn't cover the role I'm looking for, or isn't at least pretty close to what I'm looking for. I, I, I mean, I like to save myself the effort of coming up, of trying to stat something out from scratch. I don't, doesn't sound fun to me at all. That was an interesting word you use there. It, you, having a monster fill a role that you need. I guess, tell me more about that. So you're looking to, the, the monster is almost like its hopes and dreams are secondary to what, <laughs> what you need. <laughs> right. No, that's a good question. I was using the word role in sort of the MMO sense of the word. And this was crystallized in tabletop form a bit in 4th edition Dungeons yeah. & Dragons, which assigned creatures roles like, 
I, I don't remember the exact terms, but it's like skirmisher, strike, yeah, um, striker, defender, brute, yeah. striker, yeah. When I think about what a monster is going to do in a fight, I try to think of what sort of MMO-ish space it's going to fill in its group. So is it a tough, lots of hit points brute that, you know, is going to be sort of the foot soldier? Is it going to be the hangback and uh, pelt the party from the sidelines? Is it going to be uh, a wizard type thing controlling from the rear? Whether I specifically say, oh yes, this is the skirmisher monster, or I don't, I at least try to imagine what its role will be because it informs kind of how I use that monster. And it also reminds me what they're best at. So yeah, is is that something that you guys think about consciously? Yeah, absolutely. I try to, I try to think about what, what monsters say about the theme of wherever they are, what they're doing to prop up and and what kind of extra story they're adding into it. So, which is, which is to say like, you know, if you're, if you're in a tomb, you have a lot of undead, but what specifically do they look like? What are they wearing? Like how old have they been there? How many religions back does their refinement look like it's been from like that kind of stuff as well. But yeah, tactically is definitely something you want to think about. And I, I can think of no better example of this than the most recent episode of Critical Role. Can I can I spoil it? As it it's been like a couple of days. I don't know if you have a lot of. It's not gonna spoil it to me. I mean, I guess we're gonna do a spoiler alert for people who. Care, yeah. Okay. But I would so imagine they've already seen it. I will. I will try to stop talking about this if you haven't watched that. But um, so they're on this 500 foot bridge, and the bridge is suspended over a giant eldritch gibbering mouther which when it whispers at you it uh it makes you go insane and makes you want to jump into it into one of its many like fanged mouths and above them was this thing called a roper which has the it's it like looks like a stalactite except sometimes it comes alive and it has like these extending tentacles so there were basically only two monsters and a big bridge but because because every time they made noise on this bridge, the monster below them, the mouther, would make them go crazy. And when they stayed put too long, the roper would attack them from above with extending tendrils. It was like a really fascinating tactical problem that they had to overcome that mm-hmm. by themselves, neither one of those things, like if you run into a gibbering mouther, you just shoot some arrows at it and it's dead, right? If you run mm-hmm. into a stalactite, it's, oh, it's, it's alive. You hit it with a hammer and it's dead. But you add that with the physical challenge of the bridge and with in combination you get this beautiful orchestra of horror that that only monsters can provide for you (laughs) yeah Yeah, and you know assigning thinking about monsters role like what their tactics and general approach to combat are going to be is going to be it helps to avoid a situation that at least i fall into too much which is I get boring with my monster tactics and I stop using the monsters to their best tactical advantage and I start having them just run up and swing weapons at the party when usually there's something more interesting you can do. So if if you have 10 goblins, it pays to split them up into skirmishers, the upfront people, and tweak their stats slightly to make them a little more effective at each of those roles and a little weaker in the roles that they're not intended to be. For me, it keeps me from getting too boring with monster tactics. I just uh, I'm playing uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen with my fifth edition group, 
and we are we're starting i think they're at level six but we're starting just from the beginning of it which is really designed for level one characters so it opens up with a siege on a city um or a bunch of raiders raiding a city and you're not supposed to just like take on the army because you're pretty low level and (laughs) that would wipe you out but they're high enough level that they can kind of take on the army as much as they want um so i've had a really fun session or really fun past couple sessions where they were just taking on like a hundred something kobolds at a time because you know they can group them together and they can do all sorts of cool magic and stuff now um but it was really interesting thinking about it in terms of okay so if you have 60 kobolds (laughs) fighting a group of six people right like what would the kobolds do to break up and like yeah form groups and try to do different things and just yeah, it became sort of like a war of attrition, even though, like, they're just sort of like this, yeah, great number. I'm not rolling for them individually at all, just sort of right. groups. It was, a, it was a pretty fun challenge from, like, the GM perspective to do. And it was really fun, too, because I got them to use up all their spells and stuff, and now they're going to have to face the big bad guy. Do you guys have a favorite monster? Like, this is just a personal anecdote question. What is a monster that you have had just an enormous amount of fun as a GM introducing into a game? Chris, why don't we start with you? Dragon. Yeah. And so what yeah. made it what made it so fun? <laughs> um, I think so, at least in D D, right, where I had the dragon introduced, it was I mean, they're designed to be intelligent and savvy and like they have goals and desires of their own, right? So you you introduce a dragon, everybody's afraid of it, just naturally because it's a dragon at the table. So it was a lot of fun to kind of just play around with that and just to really needle the the players with what the dragon could get out of them just with their, their little phrasings and things like that. But yeah, so I enjoyed that from a GM perspective, just getting to play that. Cause it felt like one of the first creatures I got to run that had intelligence. That's great. Kyle, what about you? Uh, I had the, um, all shark, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a, a monster that I came up with. It was a giant shark that got bigger, the closer it gets to its prey. And wow. inside of it is like a pocket dimension mm-hmm. of digestion. And uh, Chris, Chris, uh, that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really enjoy like a sincere power differential uh, occasionally, um, just because it makes the world feel more exciting and perilous. If you see something, you're obviously not going to be able to overcome. And I think they lost like a pet ferret and a donkey they just abandoned ship they abandoned their raft and swam to shore with some good rolls but they lost their animal companions so they've sworn to uh to go back and uh, <laughs> and save them at some point but that i mean that, that's probably been like a year since we ran that game what about you andy i mean there's so many good examples i can think of a couple really good dragon encounters like you say chris in my years of gming that were tremendously fun more recently, I had a lot of fun with a creature from the Pathfinder game. It was in one of their early adventure paths. There was one that was that was sort of Middle Eastern themed, and although I don't think this creature is especially Middle Eastern themed. I don't remember the name of the creature, but it was a wimpy goblin type of thing, and its only trick, its gimmick, is that it was a bad luck creature. It had a, an aura of bad luck. And the way that that manifested rules-wise was that you rolled two d20s whenever you tried to do something, and you took the lower result, which we recognize now as the disadvantage mechanic in 
5th edition. But at the time, that was a really kind of mind-blowing uh, way to tweak the mechanics we were all really used to. Until that point, we had never used that particular mechanic of rolling a die and taking the better or worse result. But I had more fun with it just playing up the fact that it could kind of sneak around and follow the party and plague them with bad luck in some non-roll ways. That It was just really fun. The party really grew to hate <laughs> these creatures. And, and I used them sparingly because that could get tremendously irritating if you overdid it. But um, it was really fun, and it let me think creatively about how a bad luck monster might, uh, how that bad luck might manifest. How, how did it? Yeah, how did it manifest? I'm just curious. Food going bad. They were traveling through the wilderness at the time, so they kept having suspicious bad luck encounters in the wilderness, like with natural features and things like that, that had the effect of wearing down their resources and their hit points and things like that. If I had stuck with it, I would have, if, if, and if I had a little bit, had had a little bit more time to think about it, I would have tried to introduce some things like having people accidentally say the wrong word or jostle somebody <laughs> who is in a bad mood. Just maybe try to bring that into the realm of mm-hmm. party interactions. But I, it, it didn't quite get that far but there's a mm-hmm. there's a lot you could do with it but even just on the very simple level of this thing is wimpy but it's just really difficult to kill if you're using any sort of kind of luck based uh, attempt to kill it which makes you try to think outside the box mm-hmm. a little bit of how do we how do we get these things into a situation where we're not rolling dice to get rid of them anyway i don't no, want to go on and on like about that monster, monster. it was fun <laughs> Yeah, you know, if I was going to redesign that monster, I would say I would give it a very low AC and like maybe three Mm -hmm. hit points. And I would, in a Dungeons and Dragons game, I would say that its power doesn't give you disadvantage. It's it's successes or failures and failures or successes. So you're constantly you're constantly rolling to hit it because its AC is so low, but you just can't kill this thing. Oh, I love that. So it just sits there kind of like snickering at you and yeah there's another it also reminds me of like you can kind of come up with like topsy-turvy ideas there was one super villain in doom patrol the grant morrison run i forget the artists on it maybe it was howard porter but they they were fighting this these dada um (laughs) villains uh led by a guy named mr nobody and uh one of his underlings uh had every superpower you hadn't thought of yet so the way to defeat him was to think of every superpower that he could have until he didn't have anything (laughs) useful so like yeah imagine imagine like yeah you're going up against this you you know that this omni dragon has every super every every legendary ability you haven't thought of yet so you just start shooting shouting like fire breath <laughs> uh acid breath uh immortality uh you know you just spend rounds and rounds shouting what you're afraid mm-hmm. it might use on you until it can't it's do like anything the to you stay puff marshmallow man yeah exactly so like kind of thinking of different and that kind of goes into the roles it's like using using creative monster design to kind of change the tempo and kind of change the expectations of the game and to interrupt it instead of it instead of it being a yeah that's the thing about like a pathfinder and and fifth edition this idea of the balanced encounter really kind of gets in the way of some interesting work sometimes because you the idea is that it's supposed to be like this perfectly surmountable you know it's going to take you're going to have to use some healing potion afterwards but it really shouldn't take you much longer than a half hour to overcome and you want to 
be able to have three such encounters in any given session and like all, all that kind of stuff. And it just, it, that kind of stuff is like, that doesn't sound very exciting to me. Like you, you want to bamboozle your players. <laughs> and well, and that's why, that's why I like Powered by the Apocalypse so much is because I can just come up with all the weird ideas I want to. And I know they're surmount, I know it's a surmountable encounter. It's mm-hmm. just up to the dice roll. Uh, you know, it's like if I, you know, if they roll, their skills are, are all player facing, so they know what they need to roll. It's if they feel that it's not likely, then they won't do it. Like if you fictionally talk about, you know, there's nothing about this giant all shark that was in Salzman's game that he could have said like, oh, well, let's yeah. just throw a fireball at it and see what happens. It's like, yeah, you can roll for that. And, you know, there's nothing in the rules that say that that wouldn't be effective or, you know, there isn't a whole like half a page of stats telling you exactly how this thing can't be defeated in certain ways or whatever. But they felt like it was dangerous. And so they ran and it became more dangerous in their minds as a result. And that that's where it really that's where role playing games live and 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 breathe for me is like when everybody is so invested that they start making decisions that are that feel right as opposed to mm-hmm. what they're like oh there well there's a big book of these monsters and it's probably not higher than our critical level so we should be able to yeah, overcome it's it, interesting right? you say that cuz i'm thinking to the dragon encounter that i was talking about earlier and statistically they could have beaten it right like it was like it was well within the realm of them rolling correctly and they could have beaten it but because at the table they had decided that this was a big threat and they needed to be careful and all these things then it became much more real and much more you know ferocious and stuff in their mind and that was just a very fun role-playing moment because i haven't really thought too much about like yeah using monsters in a more like narrative or an emotional way, which it seems like both of you are talking about a little bit more. Um, but I like that idea yeah. quite a bit and just leaning on that even. I have a different question for you guys. What would you say, what are some things that you do when you are preparing a game and you've got a couple of monster encounters or a monster infested area that is kind of boring? It's full of like kind of stock monsters. And let's say that they need to be there. So there needs to be whatever, a fort of goblins with a bunch of rooms in which you basically just run into goblins. What are some things that you do to make that more interesting than, oh, here's 10 more goblins? Well, so Sid Meier is famous for coining the phrase that a game is a series of interesting decisions. So yeah, if, if all, all of the, you know, 20 goblins charge head on that, then you just start rolling into the fray. That's not very interesting. There's a, there's a great YouTube, um, channel called Game Maker's Toolkit and it's about mm-hmm. video games. There's a, a wonderful episode on Doom, the original Doom, um, game design and the kind of like seminal first person shooter game. It was about how each different kind of monster in that game requires you to move in a different way in order to overcome it without dying. And any one of those isn't that interesting, but it's a combination of those things that makes you have to do this kind of like rapid, you know, dance with a, like this kind of like weird tango with a Gatling gun. Um, <laughs> and that, that's what makes it interesting. So yeah, you say goblins, goblins are great because you immediately think, okay, well, they're tricksy and kind of bonkers and they don't mind 
self-harm and like you know they're they they can make things that are clever and explode and it doesn't bother them like that's kind of par for the course for them they're nutty and they're into it so yeah you can have crazy traps you can have trap doors so like you know you have your goblins kind of like you know behind a barricade uh shooting crossbows at one end so you get your frontline fighters to you know the party sends their, their uh, barbarian and paladin and everything up to the front while the wizards and ranged fighters are back there. And then trap doors open up and suddenly you have a gang of monsters <laughs> at your rear to, and it's a pincer maneuver and then the shaman shows up. So like those are the kinds of like revelations that you can do. Like you can make even low level monsters if you if you just figure out a way to get the party moving and committing to decisions that seem good at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're like, and then here's here's the twist that I want you to think about. And then also, how great would that be if they they send the the rogue in first and he spots a trap door and he sees the barricades and he comes back and he says, This is a trap. They come up with a different plan and they feel like they have overcome something mm-hmm. that was interesting. And even if it makes that encounter um, you know, go by in 10 minutes and they wipe them all out immediately, that still makes them feel rewarded for being clever players, which is how, how they ought to be rewarded in, in those kinds of situations. Would you ever introduce that trapdoor after the encounter had started? Like, right. So like if you had started the encounter, like, oh, this encounter is going, it's kind of boring or it's going too quickly. Let's just introduce a trap door. Or would you feel like that is not fair? And that's something that you would have had to have. Oh, the, like the quantum trap yes. door that like, like it was, yeah, yeah, it's well, you never checked for right, traps. Yeah. So you didn't, yeah, it, it could, it could have, it could have been there all along. So I'll just say, I mean, yeah, I, I think so. But also like, the, I mean, this is, this is why I like running my own material is like, I would never, I would never make something that was that boring. (laughs) (laughs) I would make something that is like boring in a different way because it's impossible to make, you know, excellent stuff all the time. But I would never make something that is boring in that specific way because that's the, that's the easiest kind of boring to avoid Mm -hmm. is. 20 goblins in uh in a room with two entrances you know it's, it's yeah but but yeah you see that kind of stuff in in official modules all the time yeah i've been playing around with introducing much like the critical role example you were talking about like introducing verticality to um to encounters right so yeah having stuff above you and below you right you know in addition to on the the plane that you <laughs> your your players are on so like that really helps and then also having some sort of time pressure external time pressure that they're trying yeah. to, to get through have been really useful in sort of aiding them moving forward and making decisions and feeling like it's meaningful that they're making decisions yeah, it's been great. And then also, too, as the GM, it just gives you a lot of tools to sort of keep things moving. It's like, hey, there's a clock counting down. We have to <laughs> yeah. have to do this stuff, you know, otherwise the townspeople are going to die. Yeah, or, or yeah, you, you, you walk into the goblin arena, and as, as soon as the door slams shut behind you, this giant Rube Goldberg device goes off that's clearly going to flood the, the arena with yeah. acid or something like that if you're not fast enough. It's like that kind of stuff where you're just like, okay, if we don't, interrupt this device or solve solve this situation quickly like we know now the stakes are more interesting than if we don't 
reduce their hit points before they reduce our hit points we lose it suddenly like things feel like oh what uh, uh, rube goldberg machine what, what does that mean I, what, what, wait wait hold on yeah. you know like nothing's <laughs> prepared you for that and maybe it's that kind of ticking clock that kind of urgency goes a long way to to spicing up some mediocre encounter design um, have either of you ever had a monster end up becoming a beloved npc yeah <laughs> Go ahead, though. I've I've been talking too much. Go ahead. Oh, that's a good question. I guess once I had a rival adventuring party that Mm. were not exactly (laughs) monsters, but that were were making their way through the same region that the PCs were in and occasionally would get to, like, a dungeon first. (laughs) That was pretty fun. That's different than monsters, I guess, exactly, because those were full-blown NPCs with motives that I was tracking. But that was pretty fun. But they they could have attacked them if they wanted to. Yeah, if you haven't done that, uh, I highly urge any GM to put a rival adventuring party in your next D&D campaign and just see what happens. It, It can be really fun. Kyle, you were very enthusiastic. Yeah, so in my dungeon, Temple of the God Hunter, that Chris, you you played in that one with uh, Jason and Blake. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was fun. There were two beloved monsters in that one. I don't know how much you remember that from that, but there was a immediately you, you wake up in this this prison and and in the next cell over is basically this mimic, this talking carnivorous, you know, treasure chest. And he says, "Hey, if you help, you know, get me out of here, I'll uh, help you escape, and you know, we can." And immediately, because it's a monster, people are like, wait, I don't know. Even though, like, they're in exactly the same situation. They just (laughs) happen to get free first. And what I did is I put in my notes, there's a random roll where the the monster is totally on the level. He will help you as much as he can get out of the temple. But there's a roll whether he's going to set off the booby trap to to steal the... uh, the big great like holy crystal at the end because that's you know that's what he got caught trying to do in the first place so there's a role whether he's just he's learned his lesson and he's out of there with you guys or if he's going to cause problems and kind of like summon the uber boss at the at the end of the dungeon and i've run i've run that uh, dungeon three times and twice Nobody let him out, but the most recent time I did, uh, somebody did let him out, and it was so much fun. And actually, that person, their player character died in the middle of the dungeon, so they just took over stats for this oh this mimic who was making the rest of his way <laughs> out amazing. and like he totally yeah he totally just got into it and uh so that was wonderful he ended up becoming like the protagonist of the story mm-hmm. um which is fascinating and he did all he and and in the end when tempted with an obvious booby trapped jewel he totally went to it because he was playing to character and what, what so that was that was fascinating and in that same in that same dungeon, there's a kitchen area where there's this this lone cultist uh, page who is who's stirring a cauldron of porridge to serve to the people in the commissary next door, and. Every time somebody busts in on this poor page, they just like they don't want to murder him because he just has a wooden spoon yeah. and he's not like he's he's always surprised. So yeah. that's another situation where like the power differential is like, yes, okay, this guy's part of like a spider cult who kidnapped you and wanted to feed you to their god and like all that kind of stuff. 
yada 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 but he's he's so cute he's, he's just cooking. sitting there yeah so like in the, the one game like somebody tried to like romance him and like mm-hmm. it was a, a a player who was playing a talking like telepathic horse uh, and and i just it came down to the role but he decided he was too devoted to his cult um to to leave and he stayed behind and got crushed by the uh by the kind of like Metroid-esque self-destruct thing at the end when the, the whole place crumbled down on him. <laughs> he died doing what he loved. Yeah, stirring porridge. I mean, people still, like, to, that was like a, about a year ago, and uh, people would continually bring up the porridge intern mm-hmm. in conversation. Oh, that poor porridge intern. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Chris? You know, I had one goblin... Who, after questioning, <laughs> we'll call it questioning. After the party <laughs> questioned um, the goblin, it you know limped away, and they they took pity on it, and <laughs> it popped up a couple other times. It was quite fun. But I think anytime you you end up giving a monster a name, I think it gives the players an opportunity to fall in love with hmm. it. So <laughs> something yeah. that I'm, I'm experimenting a little bit more with. I think I want to get away from from monsters that don't necessarily have backstories, if that makes sense. I mean, I think there's still a need to have sort of that. I mean, if you're playing a combat focused game, you're always going to need to have monsters that are just monsters because they're monsters. But then you also like, if you can introduce some of those, like, well, this could go either way, depending on what you want to do with the game, having a couple more of those involved. Yeah. And also like, I, I think one of the, one of the best things you can do to make a memorable monster is, give like when you're designing how they look and how they feel and what they can do make it as scary as you can possibly think and then when when you're actually playing them just yeah just kind of like do a griffin McElroy and have them talk like a regular person yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that kind of that kind of dichotomy that kind of juxtaposition is going to be enough to be like oh there's a lot going on with this guy he's got his whole thing yeah. we're just we're just showing up in the middle of his story yeah he's got to get groceries sometime yeah <laughs> So I have a question about a very specific kind of monster. How do you design a fun boss fight? And I realize that boss fights work differently in tabletop RPGs than they do in a Metroid video game. But so let's say you've got some sort of a big bad guy, the leader, the head cultist, the evil wizard. Uh, at some point, it's uh, everybody wants to fight the boss. So how do you make that fun? Yeah, I usually start by designing the the environment to make sure that it can provide everybody sort of the opportunity to do their thing well, but then Mm. also not allow them to do it so well that the, the combat is done in the first round. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So yeah, give it some, you know, give everything a little bit of distance. You can see the big bad from far away, but also give them some pillars to hide behind and, Mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. Um, so there's that, but then I'll also add in sort of secondary monsters and stuff and secondary, sort of goals of those monsters in there um, as well. So you can sort of start to pick off some of the players and, and things like that. Cause I think, I don't know if there's a great way to design a just pure, like one monster on the party, like one V six or whatever. I think you need a couple other things in there just to keep things distracted and going on. Yeah. I, I would answer the question much the same way. The, the biggest problem you want to avoid is a situation that I have seen in more than one game where the, party just swarms this powerful but but singular boss creature and just 
you know, a party of six people with their firepower focused on you is going to wear you down unless unless you are truly insanely overpowered. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, throwing in, like, you know, minion creatures, other stuff going on in the room is a good idea. I've found that video game bosses can provide some ideas. Like, So some of the minion stuff, video game bosses use minions a ton to keep you from just being able to stand behind a pillar and snipe at mm-hmm. the boss. So they'll flood the arena with creatures that designed to, you know, pull away your attention or make you move or they'll or, or environmental stuff that makes it impossible to stand still and exploit a single tactic or strategy. There's also something on fourth edition kind of codified this a little bit, but it's a common video game thing is to have a creature's tactics and sometimes powers change based on how hurt they are. So video games often have like multi a boss that when it gets down to half health, it kind of maybe it shifts tactics or it pulls out the yeah. big guns, uh, you know, that it was holding in reserve or something. This like that. isn't so, even my final four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't want it to be quite as, you know, cheesily blatant as it is in a video game where you've killed this boss. Now it turns into the real boss, you know. But um, but there is logic to the like. Well, this isn't working. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to use those powerful spells I was holding in reserve. Or uh, Kyle, how would you answer that? Uh, yeah, I think making making the boss kind of a problem in a room of pain is kind of the way to do it. That's a great um, so way like the, to say what Chris and I just spent a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just gotta, like, you know, it's it's not just a giant spider. It's a giant spider in a courtyard that has been transported into the, the yawning abyss of ether. And mm-hmm. there are also galleons shooting harpoons <laughs> and more, like, spider soldiers, you know, trundling down those those harpoon chains. Like, you know, it's like it is a ton of problems. Mm-hmm. And also don't, I would say, number one, like, if you're, if you're going to, if you want a boss fight, that boss fight needs to be, capable of killing them don't make a boss fight where you're like oh yeah i know how they get out of this Hmm. you know that yeah it's make make that is the player's opportunity that is the player's that's that's their game is to figure out how to solve your problems that you throw at them you're you're not you're not like and that's something you can't do with a video game boss like a video game boss has to be like programmed to be beaten in a Mm -hmm. specific way with a cool quick time event or something right (laughs) um and uh and 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 these bosses it's like no you you can just create like this yeah room of pain and you're like okay that seems that seems appropriately hard enough and if they die they die that's i mean that's I, I haven't done a lot of campaign play, as you might be able to tell. Uh, maybe <laughs> there's a reason for that. Uh, but it's like, you know, I especially if you're running a one-shot, like, yeah, make make the boss just, like, apocalyptically, like, uh, difficult. And, like, don't don't worry about it. But also, you know, maybe maybe think about um, just, just, like, there, is, there should be some other goal to achieve. Mm-hmm. That that does not uh, necessitate you like going and murdering some kind of like giant ugly animal. Like you know, you could do other things in dungeons besides just fight bosses. But if you're going to fight a boss, make it make it hella tough. You know that uh, a thing I I picked up from uh, historical war games like the hex grid and cardboard counter type is how dull it can be to have 
just a straight up fight where each side's goal is just to defeat the other side. Yeah. Uh, you, but a dull encounter like that suddenly becomes really interesting when both sides have, have slightly different um, goals that they're pursuing. Um, yeah. You know, one side, it, it could be something just really simple. Like we've just got to get across this room in a certain amount of time, uh, you know, or it could be more comp. It could be a, an array of tasks or challenges, but just giving both the players and the boss something besides kill as their primary goal, I think can make a big difference. Yeah. Or, or if the boss's goal is to kill and the, you know, the, the, the party needs to stop the ritual or escape with the, you know, secret plans or, right. you know, there can be, there can be lots of other things that you can do besides that. And that will still be interesting problems to solve for both the boss and, and, uh, and, you know, you run the GM running the bus and, and also the players to go like, OK, well, you know, uh, yeah, just uh, just straight up slugfest with more HP actually is going to be more boring than even that room full of 20 goblins, I think. Yeah, because at yeah. least goblins give you an excuse for a funny voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we should uh, wrap things up. We've been going for a little bit. This is it excellent topic um might have to just put it back on the table yeah, yeah. at some point um, uh, yeah. can i have i have one more one more piece of advice oh yeah go for it old paintings just look at old paintings um just go and and, and look at uh just go on pinterest and, and type in creepy paintings and uh, <laughs> i am not gonna type that into google yeah. do it do it no it's great it's wonderful you know you 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 find some you know go look at look at geiger or Goya or you know whatever and just try to get something that kind of gives you the Ghiblis and then figure <laughs> out like how how do you get that same kind of feeling into a monster like the vi- those kinds of visuals are where I go to but I'm a visual thinker so mm-hmm. like if you're just if you're just stuck just find something that's evocative to look at in the first place and that and then just use that as a springboard i i did a whole temp i did a whole dungeon that was all the monsters and it were based off of the crazy demons in uh michelangelo's the temptation of saint anthony and that was just the whole gag it was just like it was all of those people all those monsters from the painting in this thing and i was thinking about what kind of powers they would have and all that kind of stuff and it was it was really easy and a quick quick way to to just fill a uh, a dungeon with a bunch of unique monsters so that's great you're also not getting me in the museum this is a trap (laughs) (laughs) we need to go (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's really good yeah i like that i mean you might as well use that art <laughs> for something it, it, it most of it's in the public domain yeah um so it belongs to you already so you may as well put it to work yes yeah that's good all right well uh, before we totally sign off kyle do you have anything that you want to plug in uh, specifically plug uh yeah if you want to see what kind of crazy stuff i have up on uh, Fantasy Fun Council, which is where I'm putting my where I'm putting my uh, uh, new RPG stuff. Just go to fantasyfuncouncil.itch.io, um, oh. and it's all for free. Uh, there, my, my favorite thing that I put up most recently was one uh, uh, D6 wandering food cart table. So 
Hmm. Uh, not just not just monsters show up in the wilderness. Now you also get <laughs> restaurants, uh, nice. and you can. It's a great chance to role play, and each of those things, instead of stats, they have a complete menu that goes thematically with whatever the, that is. So there's like a bon mi cart, there's a fried chicken cart, there's a there's a donuts and bagel shop, uh, there's a barbecue place run by a bugbear. I mean, it's <laughs> it's all it's all good, and the, all the food is uh, is delicious and like based on stuff I've actually had and and would totally eat and love to talk about if i was running a game with people with it so uh that's so yeah great. that's yeah, great we'll get a link to that in the show notes and you know uh we should be sure before we close out to just say thank you to our listeners and we really value uh your feedback and your comments and if you wish to get in touch with us uh you can find us at uh, gmdiscussions.com stop by and drop us a note we'd like to hear what you like and what you don't Mm-hmm. One other thing, we need to replace the topic that you rolled, Kyle. Mm. I don't know if you have anything that you think would be a good addition to it. I think if you if you get one on there, you'll have two <laughs> two topics on the table that still need to be rolled. So, do you have anything in mind? Uh, yeah, running romance and shopping scenes. Hmm. That's I guess and or. They, I mean, they think you could, there's probably a Venn diagram, right? <laughs> so this is not running romantic shopping necessarily. You know, now that you... Yeah, how do you run a romance scene? <laughs> I love my relatives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we will add that to the top or the table of topics. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. Yes. For the second time. It's been great. This has been Roll for Topic. I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. Remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. 